Good morning and welcome both in person and online. We're so glad that you decided to join us today as we continue our series, our Fixer Upper series, Good Things in Store for Today. We want to make sure you have an opportunity to be connected and us connected with you. If you're in the room, the connect card there in front of you, fill that out. Let us know what to pray for, things like that. Anything that you want to tell us, that's on that card. Also online, you can do the same thing at firstnaz.org forward slash connect. Also, if you're not connected to a smaller group, uh, I'm Dave Curry. I lead our group's ministry here at the church, and we really want you to be connected. There's still some groups that have some open spots. You can see all of that information online at firstnaz.org forward slash groups. You can find out all of the information you need to. Also, we've got lots of things going in the life of the church coming up here on March 8th is the Seder dinner. We do need you to RSVP for that. And we want you to be connected to what's going on in the life of the church. So if you're not currently getting the e-news, you can sign up for that on our website as well as our Facebook page. And then of course, Palm Sunday coming very soon and Easter Sunday, more details to follow, but we are doing a big invite event on Easter Sunday. And we want you to be a part of that There'll be more and more information coming to you on that. We want to reach out to the community around us. So thank you for being here. Let's continue to worship now as we focus our attention on Almighty God.
and I want to invite you to pause and pray with me. Would you do that? In this present moment, Lord, we intentionally come back to the center. We slow down, we pause, we listen. So many things we brought in with us. We brought in illness. We brought in the uncertainty of health that's not working out. We brought in financial troubles. We brought in loneliness. So many things, Lord, we've brought into this room, but we pause. And we come back to you, the center. 
we lift our sights uh, higher than this present moment. We don't have a politician who can fix our problems. We don't have a bank account that can fix our problems. We don't have some leader who can fix our problems. We have you, God of heaven and earth, the creator of the ends of the earth, the resurrected king, our good, good father. So we come to you in this present moment, recentering ourselves and inviting your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to nudge us, to heal us, to minister to us. So come, Holy Spirit. Come all the way down. Come all the way in, each beating heart, joining us online or in person. Come all the way through. We need that more than anything else. We need you and we need your presence. And so, would you meet us here? We ask this in your name and all God's people said, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We, one of the things we do as an act of worship is we give, and uh, we give as, a, as an act of joy. Uh, when my wife and I on Christmas morning or on our kids' birthdays or when we have the opportunity to give our kids a gift, the best moment is not when we get something back, or it's when we give to them. There's a sense of joy, and so we do that as followers of Jesus, we give of our resources on a regular basis. Pretty countercultural. Uh, people don't really normally do that, but many of us intentionally measure out a percentage and just give that back to the, the work of God in the world. And um, I want to tell you, thank you. One of the things you've made possible is we've been able, in the middle of this pandemic, and when everything is moving online and will continue to be that way, been able to hire a part-time uh, communications director, Bethany Bond. And if you've been on our social media and Instagram, Facebook, uh, or e-news. She's responsible for all of that. She's super talented, and, and uh, we're able to get the, the, the message out. We, we're advertising this. That's a picture there you see on the screen of an ad we ran on social media, and um, you know people are seeing that, and people are responding, saying, oh, I want to go. I want to be a part of that. I want to I see that. So that's because of your generosity, and I just want to tell you thank you for that. You can go to firstnaz.org slash give. Uh, we, we have taken to saying some words around that because it means something to us, and so we've taken to saying this, uh, these phrases together as a, as a symbolic act. And so what I, I would invite you to say this out loud with me here on the screen. Freely we have received, freely we give. God put us first, loved us, and redeemed us by giving with joy. We give with joy today to put God first, love the people he loves, and be part of redeeming our city. In Jesus' name.
invite you to remain standing with me. We're going to read the scriptures aloud here in just a moment. We're in the middle of, uh, or ending up actually, three weeks into a conspiracy of kindness, and we've said, hey, for the next 30 days, uh, what if we were intentionally kind to someone every day? Could we raise the kindness quotient in Wichita? And so what we did is a, just a memory device is to encourage you to get a penny, put it in your left pocket, intentionally do something kind, and then put that penny in your right pocket. At the end of the day, put it on the counter and start over the next day. And so I'm just checking in with you every week. How's that going? Um, anybody still being kind? In the first service, it was just Larry Farrar, if you know Larry and Mary. Everybody, no one else. But uh, uh, I just want you to know, here's what it's helped me do. It's helped me to be intentional. Many times we do things when we feel like it or when we're moved by it. But good things are meant to be done intentionally. So it's helped me to be intentional. So I hope that it's helped you do that as well. Well, we're in a series called Fixer Upper, and I want to help you this week with your parenting. I want to help you figure out how to put character in your kids that lasts a lifetime. So we're looking at the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. The letter is in the New Testament. Um, The Apostle Paul wrote a series of letters to a series of churches that you have there in the New Testament. And this is uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. I'll read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, and all of the parents said, that's right, see, easy, amen. Honor your father and mother, he's there quoting the Ten Commandments, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then what we're going to look at today applies to, says your fathers, but it applies to parents, fathers and mothers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of respect for God's word. I don't know if I have to tell you this. Uh, I think I don't, especially if you're a parent, uh, but parents uh, are in trouble. Uh, I, you don't need a lot of prodding from me to agree with that, I don't think. Uh, there is a, an article that was written in The Week. The Week is a, a newsletter, e-news you can sign up for, that goes out to millions of people. And this is the article. We've got a picture of it on the screen for you that says, America's parents are not okay, just this last week, and uh, details what's going on uh, across our country for parents and the pandemic. And that's, that's true in, uh, in extreme times like we're living in right now, but that's, that's honestly true if you're a parent all the time, because uh, here's what I've discovered. My, Andrea and I have three kids. We have uh, a 16-year-old who is a sophomore, uh, son, and then another son who is 13 in the seventh grade, and then our daughter is 11 going on 27, running the whole household. Uh, if you have one of those, you know what I'm talking about. But here's what I've discovered is that parenting is, on a good day, is hard work done under pressure. Parenting is hard work done under pressure. Uh, we talk about, I think, especially right now in this present moment, we talk about helping you make it as a culture. It gets lots of airtime to talk about how we're helping parents. But I think when push comes to shove, we're not really doing a great job of helping you as a parent. I, I remember a, a very uh, specific time. Andrew and I hadn't been married long, and uh, our son was, our oldest son was, had just been born, and she was telecommuting. This was back before work from home was a thing, and she'd been doing that for several years, corporation she worked for, and, and we were living in another state. And uh, I was trying to balance, it's some kind of work-life thing. I don't remember the exact details of it, but it was related to childcare and all of those kinds of things, and I'm trying to juggle the whole thing. And, and uh, I think we're trying to do some kind of vacation thing. And, and I went to my, my, my boss at the time, and I said, hey, you know, he was a, he was a pastor, and 
I said, I was on staff, and I said, hey, I'm trying to work through the situation, and he just, he didn't quite know what to do with the situation, and so his response was, well, and he inserted the name of the company she worked for, well, you know, that company wouldn't let her do that, so why should I let you do that? <laughs> that was his response. I, I remember thinking, I, I thought, well, aren't you the leader? Aren't you in charge? Max Dupree says uh, famously that the first task of a leader is to define reality. I'm like, why are you not defining reality? Why are you going with that corporate thing? What? Well, it, that illustrates the point, right? We're not always doing a great job of helping parents. It's hard. It's hard to navigate all that. And parents are, like that article says, parents are, are not okay right now. Now, I need to pause right here, and for those of you who've already raised your kids, and you might have grandkids, or maybe they're older as well, and maybe you've, it's not so present for you, and you've forgotten, or you've not had kids, and so you've not experienced what this is like, I just kind of want to give you the situation. I'm in the middle of it. Andrea and I are in the middle of trying to figure this thing out, so we are, we are, we are knee-deep in the mud of parenting and so I, I just, I just want to paint the picture for you. Uh, right now, it's a very unique situation. We've got parents who are trying to work and be gainfully employed and do right by their employers, which is what they need to do. And at the same time, if you've got kids who are in school, you know you're trying to juggle, how do I get them to do their homework when I'm not home? How do I get them to eat a meal when I'm not home to cook it for? How do I do that? Or if your kids are little, you're thinking, how in the world do I get to work and this kid is at home and I can't get childcare? And it's a, it's a tremendous amount of pressure and stress that's on parents in a very unique way uh, right now. And, and uh, even in good times, I mean, it's hard being a parent, but right now, wow, it is just exponentially harder. And, and here's, a, here's a parental constant that's not just from the pandemic. We're honestly, just can we be honest here? Is it okay? Can I be honest with you? Is that, is that all right? Or would you rather me tell you something you want to hear? I, okay, let me, let me just tell you. Let me be honest with you for a second as a parent. I, I, I don't know if we know exactly what we're supposed to be doing right now. <laughs> uh, I, I think the answer to that is raise good kids. I, I don't know if you would have to be a person of faith to even give that response. I think that's kind of a generic. You raise good kids. Okay, well, what does that mean? And who gets to define what a good kid is? We're going to talk about that today. And, and I want to pause right here for just a second because I think this is going to help you. Because here's, here's how I think most of us are attacking the parental raising children problem. I think this is the toolkit most of us are reaching into to try and make this thing work. Here's what it is. It's going to sound a little foggy, and I mean it for it to sound a little foggy. Almost all of us are going off of our memories. What do you mean, Scott? Well, we're all going off of this kind of vague and hazy memory of how we were raised. You know, we confront a situation, we're not quite sure what to do, and so we kind of access the memory banks. Okay, did, did, did my parents ever do, did my mom ever go through something? Did my dad, how, how, how do I do that? And it, some of us had great parents, and so we've got some great memories to draw on. Well, my dad always did this, or my mom always said that. And then some of us, probably more of us, had really bad parents, or totally absent parents. And so when we reach back into the memory bank, it's a very painful memory, or an absent memory altogether. And then somewhere in between, we're all in between that kind of a experience. 
I, a number of years ago, went to Promise Keepers. Some of you men know what that is. It was a number of years ago. And, and one of the speakers was talking to us men. He's trying to say, listen, some of you were raised in less than ideal homes. And I, I want to help you find some healing for that. Because as a man, you need to acknowledge that that happened or you'll pass on the pain to the next generation. He's, he's trying to help us. And I remember he said this phrase. It's always stayed with me. He said, kids are the best recorders of events but the worst interpreters of them, right? Isn't that good? Like, we remember the things that happened, but we don't always interpret them correctly. And so here we are, trying to reach back through the hazy gauze of our memory to find a way to act in the present moment that helps us to raise good kids, whatever that means. And unless our parents systematically taught us how to respond to life circumstances, and I would argue that's a very small percentage of people, we're all kind of operating as parents on these shadow memories. And the result that comes as a result of that is that we're, we're either trying to avoid the things that hurt us or give more of what we wished that we'd had. And, and in both instances, we usually overdo it and we get the ratio wrong. I tried for a number of years when I was a young teen to have a landscaping business, didn't go so well, and, uh, but I did have a weed eater, and the weed eater at the time, I think you can still buy this weed eater, it, would be, um, it was a, a gas-powered motor, but you had to get the mix of oil and gas right, you had, to, you had to get that ratio right, and if you didn't get that ratio right, then it wouldn't start, and I would argue for many of us as parents, we don't know how to get that ratio of the bad things and the good things, and passing them on to our kids. And for most parents, this is kind of the parental MO. It's kind of the standard operating procedure. We're just kind of trying to do what was done before, but maybe we try to do it a bit better. And, and honestly, sometimes it works out great. You know, you get a compliant kid, and they do everything that they're supposed to do, and you think you're this amazing parent. And then you get a difficult kid, and you go, I'm a terrible parent, I don't... Sometimes it works out great, but sometimes it terribly does not. You, you don't do so well, and they don't do so well, and it's just not a good experience. Parenting is hard work done under pressure. So here's what we want to do. We want to come alongside you. We want to help you, and we want to do, uh, we want to do some parental coaching. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul, and he's going to give us some parental coaching today. Now, many of you in business, uh, you're a manager, you're a leader in some shape, form, or fashion, and you've gone out and you've hired a coach to help you be a better leader. That's a great practice. I've done that. Uh, you, and a coach, all they do is they, they help you see things from a different angle and a different perspective, and they give you an outsider's perspective. And don't stop doing that. That's great. That's one of the ways that you get better. But have you ever gone and paid money and gotten parental coaching? You know, I mean, listen, when you die, someone will take over the thing that you were doing. They will just take it over, and they'll do it the way that they want to do it. And you won't have any control of that because you won't be here anymore. But when you die, that doesn't happen for your kids. All your kids are left is with what you did or you didn't do, and you just have one shot. You know, don't throw away your shot. This is, this is your shot. Uh, a number of months ago, it, it may have been 10 years ago in the pandemic <laughs> way of measuring time, um, we had a, a, a lunch for some of our most seasoned members, and we're going to have another one here in a, a few weeks. Um, but while we were there, I said, hey, would you, uh, if you were to give a piece of advice to a young parent, could you, could you just write down, so they had some cards and wrote down, and I'll ask Bethany Bond to post this on our social media later today, but 
uh, they put a list of, I think it was about 90 things of just incredible parental coaching. It was so good. I, just, I took so many things from it. It was so, so helpful. And that's what we want to do through this series is help you. We want to help you be better as a parent because it's hard work done under pressure. And that's what this series is. It's just, it's a blueprint for you uh, as a parent today and then and next week as well. So here's Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, and he's giving us some parental coaching. And, and here, if you know how Paul write, wrote multiple letters to multiple churches in multiple locations, and that's what we have as those letters in the New Testament. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, he's giving us a direct command. In fact, the, the tense of the language is what's called the imperative it's, you need to do this. This is a command. And the command he gives to us is, hey, fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, you need to understand how, you need to understand how Paul's letters work. So he would give at the end, he gives at, all the, uh, at the end of all of his letters these commands, these imperatives, these things that we ought to do. But he doesn't put that into a vacuum. He starts all of his letters and the tense of the language is the in, it's called the indicative, meaning it indicates the way things are. Paul starts off all of his letters saying, listen, this is who you are and what you have because of Jesus and the resurrection. You've got all of this at your disposal, and because you have all of this at your disposal, now you can take that bucket that God has poured into you, and you can dump that bucket out on the people in your life. And here, specifically for parents, because the, the, the indicative is, what you are, and the imperative is what you need to do. So it's what is and what ought to be. And so if, I could, if we had the time, I would take you back in the letter of Ephesians to where Paul says things in the indicative like, you've been saved by grace, which means that you're in, that you're included, that you belong. You don't have to search for a people. You don't have to search for a family. You don't have to search for your purpose in life. You don't have to search for meaning all of your life. You can actually find that. You can be in, and then it, you, would, you would find things like Paul saying, you've been given gifts, and so you have, uh, you've, been a, you've been given equipment to do what you need to do in life, and that you have a part to play, you have purpose. So there's all these things that are true about you that become the resource, the bucket that, that you can dump out onto your children. And if you don't understand the, the message of Jesus, then especially when it comes to your parenting, you'll be trying to pour warmth on your kids out of an empty bucket. But Paul says, listen, because of Jesus, you can fill that bucket all the way up so you have something to give to your kids. So I want, I'm hoping this speaks some life into you. And so Paul gives us these, these commands here, and, and he's talking about motives for parenting and the motivation that we need to get kids to do what it is that they need to do. And so he gives us two options. Option number one is to exasperate our children. Uh, the word there means uh, to make them angry. I, I think what Paul's pointing out is that often we think, especially as dads, I'm not saying moms are immune to this, but it's likely more dads, that you know, if, I, if I've tried everything else with my kids to try and motivate them and, and it's not working, then what I need to do is I need to use fear and anger as a tool by which to motivate them to action. I've done it. All the rest of you are like, well, I didn't, but I did, I've done it. So, it, it, so the word there means to, to make someone angry or to, to frustrate them or to tick them off. And, and in Colossians chapter 3, Paul uses the same word. He says it a little bit differently. He says, fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become uh, discouraged. And, and some of us dads, we just need to rethink our approach because 
We've decided that a motivational strategy that will somehow work for our children is to poke and to prod them. I don't have a cattle prod because I'm not a rancher, but this will do, right? It, it very much, the, the language very much conveys the idea of you're poking someone from a distance, right? You're, I'm a prod, you, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Come on, right? But then he goes on and he gives us a second option and he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, here's the option he gives. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That word there, bring them up, what it implies is is nourishment. Those of you that still have little kids, uh, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But you know, it's lunchtime and they're not big enough to feed themselves. And so you you put them in the seat, and then you strap them in the seat, and then you put the, the tray on the seat. You kind of put them in lunch prison. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and they're there in lunch prison because they don't, they don't know how to feed themselves. And so what you do is you come up, you, not from a distance, right? You don't use a slingshot and throw the peas at them. You come up close and you say, hey, do you, do you want to try these peas? Come on, buddy, I'll do the airplane. You know? You have to, if you're, if you're going to help them, you've got you to be close to them. And so Paul says that you, you bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. The, uh, the two words there, training, is where we get our word pedagogy. If you're a teacher, it's the, 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 the path that you take students down to help them learn a subject. So there's very much this sense that as parents, we're to help teach our kids the path. And then that word instruction, it means, okay, I'm going to warn you about the things that you can't really see right now. I've been there, and I've seen the danger, and I just, I'm trying to warn you. I know maybe you're not mature enough yet to understand what I'm saying to you, but there's, there's danger down there, and so you're, you're pointing out the pitfalls. You're teaching them the path, and you're, you're pointing out the pitfalls, but you have to do it from up close. Let me give you a mental image. Um, I, for a number of years, I haven't done it in a while, but I um, did some rock climbing and rappelling. It's really, it's, that kind of stuff's really fun to me. Uh, it's terrifying in the moment, but it's, it's, uh, I like the adrenaline rush. And so I did it so much that I went and I bought a, uh, a harness. If you're wondering what I'm wearing, this is a climbing harness um, with all the apparatus that can support your weight. And when you go do this, uh, when you're in a climbing harness, um, what happens is, especially if you're climbing with someone, is you go with a guide. And what that guide does is that guide has a, has a, uh, a, a harness just like this, and there's a series of ropes that are affixed to the rock. Or if you're rappelling, there's a series of ropes that are affixed to the rock. And, um, and what happens is, is, is that guide clips the rope to him like this. And then uh, this other end of the rope is attached to you. And that guide has been where you have not been and is going to take you to a place you have not gone to yet. And so that guide will be a little ahead and will say, okay, well, right up here, is you don't see it yet, but there's a handhold. It's for you're going to be able to get three fingers on it like this, and so you're going to need to pull up. And then just above that, there's a, a hold for your foot, and you can push up. And that guide, the guide's job is to is to get you to where you have not been and make sure that you have a good experience. And then if you fall, that guide is is tied into the rock and absorbs the weight of your fall. Like oh, there's a pull on it, but the guide's got you. He's got he's got you. Here's a mental image. Mom and dad, you're a guide to your kids. But you got to clip in and you got to be attached to them and you got to be close to make it work. And so then Paul goes on and he says, 
uh, not just generic training and not just generic instruction, but the instruction of the Lord. Well, what's that? Well, and maybe you're not a person of faith, but that's the content of, of what Jesus teaches about what's important in life. Here's how Paul says it in one of his other letters, the letter of Colossians in the New Testament. He says it like this. He, he's talking about Jesus, is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That word there, fully mature, is often translated complete or mature. Sometimes it's translated perfect. It's the Greek word telos. If you're a philosophy nerd like I am, um, the teleology, it's the, the end, the goal, the purpose. What is this thing designed for? What's it, what's the, what, where are we headed with this whole thing? This is the picture. It's, it's, you're complete in the sense of how you see yourself and how you see other people and how you see your purpose in life and how you see, uh, how you see God. Now, again, maybe you're not a person of faith, but we have a word for this whole process of completing a person. When, when that person has some sense of completeness, we say that person has character. In fact, we talk about it in ways, we use words like integrity, which just means everything is lined up and it's whole. An, an integer is a whole number. It's complete. All the parts are together. You see yourself the right way. You see other people the right way. You see your purpose in life the right way. You have a sense that there's something bigger than you. If you're a person of faith, you understand that that's God. But you, you have character. And so parents, our number one job, according to the Apostle Paul, who's giving us some parental coaching today, our number one job is to help our kids, as we are able, develop this kind of a character that will last them a lifetime. Now, I know I need some help. I hear words like that, and I say, okay, well, how do I do that? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of this. This is hard. What do I do? So I wanted to bring some friends up, and they're going to come up right now. Um, I've got David Bond, and I've got Phil Newland, some dads. So they're going to come up. Um, I'm going to talk to some moms next week, um, and they'll be on the stage next week. But if you could welcome them as they come up, they're going to grab a chair. Guys, I'm not sure they're happier to see you than the first service. I don't know. I don't know. I was, uh, was kind of hmm, not sure about that. So let me give you a, a, just a few resources real quick, uh, some things that we want to make sure that you have access to as parents. We have a table in the back. Um, the goal is not to sell things. It's just to make you aware of some resources. Um, but we've been talking about marriage the last few weeks, and so there's a few books back there. And if you don't get them here, give them, get them online. They're worth your time. Um, the Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, one of the best books on marriage I've ever read. Um, there's a book, very thin book. It's called I Married You by Walter Trobish. I give this to couples who are getting married. It's wonderful. Love this book. And then from a divorce attorney, her husband was a pastor. They almost got a divorce. Um, she's no longer practicing um, divorce law, but she wrote a book called Before You Split. So if you need a resource or you want to help someone or you're, you're thinking about splitting, this is a great resource for you. And then there are also a few things in the back around parenting. Um, we do a partnership with an organization called Orange that does great things for kids. Our kids' ministry is based on that. But there's a book, a real simple book called Don't Miss It, about the importance of the phases of your kid's life. It's just inspiring and real, real easy read. And then there's one that uh, every parent can recognize uh, called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, otherwise known as Parenting. <laughs> uh, and so those books are all back there. And then there's also a card that tells you about an app that our kids' ministry uses. It's called the Parent Q app. It's free. 
and you can find that. You can search for Parent Q in, the, in whatever app store that you use. I have it on my phone. It gives you great resources for helping develop character in your kids. So um, I wanted these guys to come up here and to talk to you about uh, being a dad because sometimes you just need a, a, real, ex, a real example of, of that happening. And so I asked these guys who are dads, and uh, Phil has been a dad. His sons are grown. You want to tell us about your, your kids? Okay. I have two boys, Eric and Andrew. Eric is married to Leslie and lives in Olathe, and Andrew is married to Mallory and lives in Indianapolis. And you're also a pediatrician. Yes. So you've seen a lot of kids and come in your office with all kinds of parental issues, right? And then David. Yeah, um, so I have three girls. They are age five with Eliza, three with Scotty, and then like one and a half for Maisie. So, so you're a new dad. New dad. Do you yes. sleep? Um, yes, sometimes, <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> I, I, I'm like to the point now where I have to take naps. Yeah, right. I don't that's, want that's to. That's why dads just, take naps, by the way. I, I figured happens. that out. Yeah, yeah. So tell us, can you tell us some things that you feel like you've done well, either things for Phil for you as you look back, things that you think, I did these things well, and then David, for you currently, um, just a handful of things that you feel like you've done well and you're, you're glad for and you want yeah. to continue. Yeah, so I think the, the first one is um, we've really focused hard, and I say we, me and my wife, Bethany, because a lot of what I do is because of her, sure. uh, but on being present, being in the moment, being here with our girls as opposed to being focused on what's, uh, what produces this productivity. And I think that's, for me, a constant a, a struggle back and forth because productivity, like my job, like it's, there's, I see that on the daily. If I do something well, if I do something right, it, it leads to a, 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 an accomplishment uh, a, with the team or, or I can look at the results. And sometimes I think just being present with my kids, it, I can't really see in the moment the, the fruit of that. And so it's really easy for me to then um, put the, the productivity of my job, of, of who I am, above being present. And I think that, you know, with the world we live in, with the phones that are in our pockets, it just, mm. like, work doesn't stop whenever I leave yeah. um, the school I'm a teacher. It, it, it comes home with me. And, and if I'm not careful, often, you know, my phone is in my hand and I'm looking at emails while I'm also building a tall tower with my girls with blocks. And, um, and before I know it, it's just I'm focused on that as opposed to focused on my, on my kids. And, and the reality of why we, I feel like we're doing this well now is because we weren't doing it well hmm. a couple of years ago and, and ended up quitting my job because I was hmm. so um, unhealthy. It was an unhealthy balance of, hmm. of, of that and it affected my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, and my relationship with my kids. And so that is something that since then we've really, uh, has been something that is super important to us and allows me to give my kids the attention that they need. And it's not divided, it's not uh, distracted, it's me and them, giving them the eye contact that is so necessary. Yeah, what else? Um, the other thing I'd say is we've really worked hard and maybe just out of that at creating what we call sacred spaces in our, in our lives. And so we, we, our house, we have these spaces that are, we, we, we intentionally have created them in order to to set ourselves up for good conversations, for good, for, for laughing together, for spending time together, for teaching, um, teaching our girls. And so like our, our table, 
right, around our, our in our kitchen is, is a, it's a sacred space for us, something we've designed, that we have created, that we, we, we have a benediction we say together, we do different things that are so um, focused on helping teach them and, and helping them learn and grow and develop. You, you told everybody in the first service what that benediction is. Yeah. So is this every day you do this? Uh, depending. Sometimes, some days it's a grabbing a breakfast bar and going to school. But yeah, yeah. We, we try to do that as often as we can or at dinner time. We'll, we'll say it. And we have it actually printed on our wall to help remind us. Um, yeah. Can you tell us? Tell us what it is. Yeah. So it's, I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I am the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take that from me. I don't have to hurry. I don't have to worry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. And so that's mm. something that I want my girls to know now and forever. And it's honestly, most often, it's a good reminder for myself. I'm yeah. like, oop, I am totally living into what people think of me right now. And, and so it's a good centering moment for us. Uh, we also, all of the, like our TVs, we, we only have one TV in our house right now and it's in our basement. And we try to just use that as sparsely as possible. And so our living room, our bedrooms are, they're screen free. And, mm -hmm. and that is, I mean, the reality is if you're in a room and there's a screen on when I'm at lunch with people and there's TVs around, I just can't help but focus on that. And it takes my attention away from what's here and now. And so we, we've, we've packed that away and put it in our basement and try to use it not a whole lot. But you've you and your wife have inten intentionally used that language, right? You call it a sacred space. Yeah, yeah. That's how you think and talk about it. Mm -hmm. and, and not just space as in like physical, like in our houses, but also within our, within our schedules. We set up sacred spaces and we try to plan the important things before the urgent things. Yeah, and with the sacred space thing, you're not talking, you've got an altar with candles. That's not what we're talking <laughs> no. about. You just repurposed what's already there. Yeah, like the we have a couple table. shrines around yeah, right, and some right. incense. No, not that. <laughs> No, just like intentional time is, is kind of yeah. maybe a good way to say that. So like we, every Friday night is, is uh, Friday movie night. And so we, because we want to create this culture that is spending time together, we bust out the TV and the popcorn and everyone, the rule is everyone gets a full-size candy bar, me included, and the girls, and we all, I know, yes, pull it out and we, we sit down and we watch a movie together and we eat popcorn and... Um, and it's something that our girls look forward to. My daughter will be like, all right, how many days left until Friday? F five, it's Monday. So we got a little bit of time to count down to that. Um, but our hoping, it, our theory behind this is that as, we, as they grow up and they get busier and they have school and they have, uh, they have sports and all these things that are then pulling away that we can find this time to be together and laugh and be awed by and, a movie. And you said you do a twofer on Saturdays, yes. right? You Saturday, something off the, off the list. Yes. And do this. We, on thing. Saturdays, we, um, we all go shopping together. It's a family event, which may sound stressful, but we, we love it. We pack everyone in the car, and most of the time we have all the shoes for the girls, and we, we throw them <laughs> in the shopping cart, and we walk around. And as we're getting our groceries, which is something we'd have to do, yeah. we're also just... Uh, spending time together, we're talking, we're there in the, the little seats looking at us and, and we're looking back at them and talking to each other and just this friendly banter. And I mean, if you'd ask my daughter what her favorite store is, it's, mm. it's not a toy store, it's Aldi's. She loves going to Aldi's, which is uh. our place. And anytime we pull up, she's like, yes, Aldi's. And, and so huh. 
we, it's, a, Aldi's is a sacred space for the yeah. Bond family. Yeah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> so, yeah. Phil, for you, just looking back. Well, I think um, all of us have blind spots. Uh, I had a little PTSD as you were sharing about the, the books, the resources available, because yeah. I have a recollection of sitting back in that area there and having a challenging moment with one of our kids and then having a couple of different people give us parenting books within a couple of weeks <laughs> Here, of that experience, literally. And I think there's, a, there's blind spots that all of us have. Yeah. So my blind spot is going to be different than yours and different than somebody else. But um, I think something I did wasn't easy and it wasn't always pleasant, but I was able to listen to Shirley, when, and it's my wife Shirley, as she would speak into me, she would learn the right way to try to navigate that, even though I didn't always take it well, but to help mm. me recognize my blind spots and have a, a mid-course correction mm -hmm. on how I approached our kids. And I think that learning curve, we, we always have to be open to being mm. teachable and taking that next step. And, mm. and I think that was something I matured in um, to be able to to impact my parenting better. So I would think our kids would say I'm doing a better job now that they're adults mm. than when I when they were five or seven or something sure. like that. Um, on a real practical note, kind of an interesting little thing we did mm -hmm. is we used to give our kids, starting about age 15 and 11, an envelope of cold, hard cash every uh, first of the year. Mm -hmm. And that was their money for clothes for the whole year. This is our way of helping them understand kind of the value of money and what things cost and budgeting and such. And we just tell them, wear all you can afford but they were responsible for choosing their clothes for the whole year. They want the $112 tennis shoes, great, but you have to have other clothes out of that money. And, and I remember our oldest son wanting to go get a shirt or some shirts, mm -hmm. and Shirley said, well, where do you want to go? And, and he said, let's go to The Gap. And he started walking around the store like, these prices are ridiculous. <laughs> you know, and, and the, I'm sure the sales girls are like, what's going on here? And they ended up packing up and going to Goodwill. And he uh -huh. bought four shirts or three shirts for four bucks yeah. and was pumped. Yeah. So that's just a little practical sideline, something we did well. Yeah, yeah. And when you think back the other way, because you've got, again, the longer perspective on this, right. you think back to some things maybe that you didn't do well or there were mistakes. Yeah, how, much, how much time do we, we got? So, okay. it's like, a, um, yeah. Yeah, I'll throw a couple of things out. One is I probably clung too tightly to how our kids did. Hmm. Carried that weight in a way that ended up not being healthy for me, which is also not healthy for mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Of course, I want them to do well. I want them to do well spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, future-wise. But I carry it in a way, and that was actually one of the blind spots that Shirley helped mm -hmm. me with. And as a pediatrician, I have times that I've had uh, teenagers come and, and meet with me to talk about issues, and I've seen some very painful choices they have made, very difficult decisions, mm. directions they've made. And I've been able to listen yeah. with grace and with, with uh, the desire to support and to help them see a bright future for themselves. And I've asked myself, well, if my kids would have come and shared that exact same thing with me, how would I have responded? Eh, probably not that same way. Mm. And so I begin to realize I need to have that same 
dose of grace day after day after day with my kids mm-hmm. as I would give to somebody else's kids who are coming to see me mm-hmm. in the office. So I, I would be more graceful and have our house just be filled with grace, not seeing them for what they are, but what they will be and can be through God's grace. So that's one thing. Um, I would probably want them to see in me less commitment, are you ready for this? Less commitment to the church, Mm -hmm. more commitment to Jesus. Yeah. And I think... Is that, a, One, is that a time thing? Is that a calendar thing? Is that what you mean by that? Yes. You, you are too much at this building. Too much at this building, yeah. not enough just with them, with my own pursuit mm-hmm. of God and with the lost world around us. Mm-hmm. But I think um, an example of that is I did not catch my mom with her Bible open much. I imagine she did. I just didn't. Mm. I wanted my kids to catch me mm. just praying, Bible open, and I, I wish I would have done that more. I wish I would have been more purposeful, not to be staged, mm. like, oh, the school bus is coming. Let me pull out the big <laughs> King James. No, yeah. but rather just have it be such a part yeah. of the rhythm yeah. of my life that they wouldn't be surprised to yeah. see me just thumbing through and have it be part of the conversation. I wish we would have prayed for our groceries after Aldi's once a week and instead yeah. at mealtimes just prayed to our father as just our friend rather than yeah. as some sort of like food thing. Yeah. That's, I would have wanted them to catch me more. Yeah. That's good. What about you, David? Um, also, the list is rather long, so I'll just mm-hmm. ch- choose a couple. I think, um, you know, when we first had Eliza and you're, you're learning how to be a parent, like they're, you, you know, you're, you go to the, the pediatrician and they give you this, this paper and it has a chart and they tell you, like, the percentage that your child is, you know, the, the height, the weight, mm-hmm. and the head girth. And, and, and you're looking at that and it's compared to, like, all the other kids, which is healthy, which is normal, allows you to see like, oh, like we're in a healthy range or my daughter's head's a little big. That's probably my fault. So, uh, but I think what, what I have done is I've then taken that and then it becomes a part of uh, just my life, this idea of comparing my kids to others and maybe what was once healthy and a good mm-hmm. mode to understand if, yes, my child is developing correctly has turned into, you know, if things, if my child is doing well in an area, then it quickly becomes a place of pride for me. And it's like, ha, look at me. I'm a good parent, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then if there's things that they don't get, then it's a place of almost like, like I, oh, I just, I feel terrible about myself. I beat myself up and, and I feel like, what am I doing? Like, I just, I'm a terrible dad. And, and it's just this roller coaster of following the compare game. And I mean, the reality is social media doesn't help, right? You pull out your phone and everyone else is crushing it in the parenting game and mm-hmm. because we just see like the, the, the highlights of their life and, mm-hmm. and the reality is it's like, you're like, man, I just can't do anything right. And so I feel like I, that's something I'm continually being checked on and have to pull myself away from is not comparing myself mm-hmm. to other dads or my kids to other kids in that regards because I think it never leads to a healthy place. And, mm-hmm. and kind of along with that is, um, and you kind of mentioned this idea of grace. I think grace for my kids is important, but I think 
Grace for me is important. I think sometimes I can be really hard on myself as a dad who's figuring it out on the daily and, and looking at everyone else and, and being able to, to give myself some grace as a learner, as a uh, imperfect father. And, um, and, and my wife does that well. She's able to say, hey, it's okay. Like we can do better next time. And we work together in, in with that because, I mean, especially at this stage, our kids, you know, we, we don't have as much sleep. So we're I mean, sleep deprived and our emotions are high and we're trying to figure it out. And I can, I mean, honestly remember like the bedtime routine, trying to figure out this, like I, I, I go in and Scotty's not sleeping the way she's supposed to in five minutes of trying this, whatever method is, is popular at the time and it's not working. So I'm like, all right, I have to walk out right now because I am so frustrated that how I'm going to act is not, not going to be good. And my wife is at the door and I just literally tag her hand like we're wrestling in the arena and she hops in for five minutes yeah, while I'm able to, great. to cool off and then it's like back and forth several times and, yeah. and that only comes from her being able to remind me and, and, and me to look at God and, 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 and give myself some grace to mess up and I think our kids learn a lot whenever we're able to fail in front of them and, mm-hmm. and they're able to see the process of us learning from our failures being forgiven, forgiving ourselves and mm giving ourselves grace. So I think that's, and then maybe the last one I'd say is, I, you know, just, um, just struggling with anxiety and fear, like, because you care so much for your kids, like, you want them to do so well, and so it's easy to just every single thing you overthink, you worry about, you stress about, you fear about, and it, um, and it's not healthy, and I think this pandemic has not helped things in the, mm-hmm. in, at all, and so you just, you want a healthy child, you want to raise them right, um, but like you said, we're in a fog of how to do that correctly. And so it can quickly, we, I can find myself parenting out of my fears, parenting out of my worries, as opposed to, you know, being able to give those to God, trust God with my mm. prized possession, my kids, mm. and, and live in this moment of joy. And, um, and I think that's, those are the three areas that I really mm. struggle. So, yeah. Guys, thank you. Thanks for your vulnerability and your honesty. It's it's uh, incredibly encouraging to see someone else who's doing their best, getting it right sometimes and not getting it right sometimes and seeing that we're all in the same boat. So thank you. Can we say thanks to them? Yep. I want to invite you to stand with me. We always leave you with a blessing, a benediction, a good word over your life. And uh, you'll see some folks, if you're here in the room, that hold out their hands. And that's just them saying, I would like good words spoken over me, and I'm going to receive as much of it as I can. If you're comfortable doing that, great. If you're not, that's okay too. But receive this blessing as you go. You're sent now to know the love of a good, good father. Who You are loved by him. That's who you are. Receive that. You're sent now to love him in return, to love your kids, people who are not your kids, in his name, and to serve them. Uh, hug someone. Tell them you love them. See you next week. Part two of the series.